Hello and welcome back to the Apprentice One to One podcast. It is me, Mark, and we're back again with episode three on the design series. Craig's back with us. First up, how are you this evening, Craig? Yeah, good, thank you. Usual busy life and balance, but all good tonight, thanks. Good stuff. And this one is is your baby. You've come up with the concept here and been ably assisted by Richard in putting it together in a presentation to follow along from the lines of last week. How are you doing, Richard? Very well, mate. Thank you. Very well. Battling on as, as you do in our wonderful world of uh, electrical installation. But yeah, all good, mate. Looking forward to it, as always. Yeah, happy days. You all right, mate? I'm not too bad. Cheers. Um, same old, same old. Too busy on roofs, getting sick of solar already, but there you go. It is what it is. I, I signed up for it, so I'm seeing it through. But yep. this week, again, we're going to delve into the world of design and we're kind of taking it on this journey as getting more complicated, I guess, is the right way to put it each week. Started off with a simple lighting circuit. Myself and Richard ran through a slightly more complex shower circuit last week and Craig's come up with this one. So I'm going to zoom us all down off the screen again. Hopefully this works and bring the slides into play. And we'll start with, as we did last week, the scenario itself. So hopefully you two can see that. Is that coming up on the screen? Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty Good, good. good. So are you going to lead the discussion through this, Richard, or is Craig doing it? Are we going to take it forward on this chat through? Yeah, I think so. I think I'll go through it. And then obviously it's Craig's little baby. Um, but I think I've captured most of the information. Um, but, it, you know, Craig can chip in and bits and pieces. We just bounce off each other as we did last week, if you like. Yeah, um, shoot, we don't have a, a Mrs. Smith this week. It's uh, Mr. Jones, uh, <laughs> and he's he owns a, a small little factory unit, uh, and he's just purchased himself a brand new compressor. So, got a bit of information uh, regarding this compressor. It's a three-phase, uh, four hundred volt compressor, um, fifteen kilowatts. So it's quite a big boy. Uh, it's got a power factor, a power factor, I should have said, zero point eight. I'm sure Craig will uh, refresh our memory on what that is in a bit. Bit of other information regarding noise levels and air pressure, etc. So quite a bit of information electrically that we're going to need. Uh, our existing consumer unit this time, this is a three-phase installation. It's an eight-nightway uh, TPNM board, and it's got 125 amp main switch incomer. Cable we're going to be using this week uh, is a four-core uh, multi-core armored 70-degree thermoplastic insulated conductors, copper, obviously. Uh, the circuit's going to be installed um, at a depth of 1.75 metres uh, inside a ducting, obviously under the ground. Got a circuit length of 43 metres, a bit less than last week. And with this one, we're going to run a separate CPC with that four-core multi-core armoured cable, but it's going to be two cross-sectional area sizes smaller than the live conductor cross-sectional area that we're going to select in a bit. Um, we've got a highest ground temperature expected of 35 degrees C and our supply characteristics are a TNS system with a ZA of 0.24 ohm. So I think I've captured most of it. A bit on power factor, what's that all about, Craig? So power factor is basically a correction to bring us closer to unity. So it's your measure between your true power and your apparent power, which you really covered in your science and principles for your installation. But we need to effectively balance the loads as best as we can throughout the installation and make sure that it's running the way it should be. And therefore, when you have three phases, they're not all running succinctly in the perfect pattern with each other. So you can use power factor to bring that much closer to how you want the system to be operating. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of where I was planning to go with that tonight rather than delving way back into science and principles but just looking at the relationship of voltage won't always be set the way it is current won't always behave so power factor will allow you to adjust that in a manner to account for differences and tolerances within your circuit really okay so and we need to include that within our calculations because what effect does it have generally the power factor well, power factor will generally increase the size of the current that's taking place in the installation. So you have to allow for it because your equipment demand is going to be of a higher level when you're looking at your protective devices and your cable selections further down through the calculation in that install. So hopefully we're going to see it factored into our equation in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed if I can make the slides work properly. So it, in essence, it's making sure we don't undersize our 
our cabling, isn't it? I think, and there's a yeah. lot more information on this. I can see straight away for those people who've watched the last couple of episodes, we've got loads more um, information in there, which is obviously going to be needed in some of these calculations. Shall we move across to the next yeah. slide and, and see yeah. what info we've got? Oh, wrong way. So this is the I've got key scenario. Um, and like we were talking about last week, I always find it easy to, out of the scenario, the question is to, is to pull out the, the more important uh, bits of key information and then you can consider those in your design. So again, quite simple really, but Got a little image of the building type, little small commercial unit, um, picture of our earthing system, picture of um, the three-phase MEM eating board, loads of those about. Cable type, picture of what that's going to look like. Your single insulated um, CPC that we've got to install separately. Circuit length, as we've said, 43 metres. Highest ground temperature, we're expecting 35 degrees C. And our cable installation, we know that it's going to be inside a duct in the ground at a depth of around 1.75 metres. So all that information is important. If I can gain further information from that, i.e. Um, installation method or reference method, etc., that's going to help me when I lay out my calculation, because all I've got to really do is follow the, the steps and input the information into the various formulas to find the, the correct information from tables, etc., etc. So I always do that because it kind of simplifies things out, just makes it a bit easy. And sometimes a picture kind of brings to life this scenario, if that kind of makes sense. So, you know, hopefully that makes sense. There's been some positive feedback on the visualisation that you've done of this, Richard, from last week. A few people yeah. who have issues with dyslexia and yeah. taking in information and, and content out of the textbooks and even at, at college, and they found that really useful. Although this is yeah. a podcast, it's obviously audio, looking at yeah. it visually really did bring it to life for them so you know credit to you for going to the time and effort of putting that into yeah, place. Right. I mean back in the day when I used to deliver it I used to produce stuff like this but then I'd also have uh, a bit of SWA to hand around and you know a thermometer I'd leave on the table and get, get a three-phase board of the same manufacturer if I could a little sample of a earthing arrangement a photograph of a real life one it just kind of brings it to life a bit more if you can pick someone up and look at it you can familiarize yourself with it because not everyone might have seen SWA or an old MEM, you know, um, three-phase board or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I was going to go and dig my garden up and put some ducting in at 1.75 metres, but I've been a bit busy for that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it just about, uh, adds, adds a little bit of value to it. And for some people, it helps them uh, visualise what it is exactly we're talking about. And it helps them with the design a little bit, you know, so trying to simplify make it easier. And as we said last week, I'll add this onto the website again. There'll be a link in the description to go and download the PDF for anyone who wants to refer back to this later. It will all be there. So, have I gone the wrong way again? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I have. That's, um... That's yeah, then you've got to go the other way. Yeah. Oh, geez. What is going on? There we go. That's the one. That's it. So all I've done again is laid it out in exactly the same way we did last week, in exactly the same stages we're going to follow through. Um, there's a little bit more to think about in this one because uh, Craig's chucked a few curveballs in, but it's kind of the same process. We, we might have to look in other tables or different tables than we did last week. Some of the tables we're going to be using today are not in the on-site guide because obviously the on-site guide is a simple guide to simple stuff really. Um, so we're going to be looking in the regs a little bit more today, but I've had a little bit more time today. So I've managed to snip it out, some of the, the tables that we're going to be discussing and drop those into the document. But if you're following and uh, not watching, obviously you can flick through the regs, but we've got page numbers, et cetera, to find the right tables and page numbers. Um, so same as we did last week, first thing we need to consider them is we've got to determine our design current. Uh, and remember that the symbol for that is IB. We've got to consider as well, as we said earlier, that we've got a power factor of 0.8 to consider. So the formula to calculate design current on a three-phase system, similar to last week, but of course it's three-phase. So we've got to divide our power, which in this case is 15 kilowatts, so 15,000 watts. We've got to divide, by, divide that sorry, by the square root of three. We've got to times that by our line voltage, which is 400 volts, and times that by our power factor of 0.8. So as Craig said, if we don't include the power factor of 0.8 within that calculation, we're gonna calculate the design current incorrectly. 
because we've got 0.8 power factor in, we do that calculation and we get a design current of 27.063 amps and we generally round that up um, to 27.1 amps. So 27.1 amps is our design current and that will be per phase, won't it, Craig? Yeah, and that's the point of the three-phase sort of element of the calculation is it's giving you a current per phase to work from and that then gives you your breaker size and your cable sizes because people often don't understand that as you say, it is per phase rather than an overall sort of current. So, so to calculate a, that effectively. If it was a single phase compressor of the same power uh, rating, same power factor, uh, what would that do to the current? If it was single phase and we still wanted a 15 kilowatt compressor. It'd bump it up considerably. Well, <laughs> yeah, it would give you a much bigger cable and a much bigger breaker size, wouldn't it? So by putting it across three phases, you can start to adjust that down. Yeah, so um, more efficient, isn't it? Better way of doing it. Yeah. Nice. Better way of doing it. Happy days. So 27 amps is our design current last week. And prior to that, Craig had a good conversation about uh, diversity and if, if we can apply that as a designer, etc. So I thought I'd ask the question again with this. Um, we know that in the on-site guide, table A2, page 137 there, it gives us some guidance uh, on applying different um, um, uh, amounts or allowances of diversity depending upon the, the type of equipment and the type of premises. So again, I've just reproduced a couple of the, the bits out of that table there. We know that it's, it's a commercial stroke business premises. So I've got to look in that column for business premises. It comes under small shops, stores and offices. Within the compressor, of course, is a motor. Uh, and other than a lift motor, um, we've, we can't apply diversity because it's saying for a business premises, we've got to take 100% of the full load current of the largest motor. Because it's the only one in there, we'll assume we can't apply diversity. So our design current is 27.1 amps. Happy with that? Yep, I'm more than happy with that. It makes perfect sense to me. Okay. So we've got our design current, IB. Then we can consider... Um, determining the rating and the type of overcurrent device um, and do we need to consider additional protection if required? Well, cable's going to be running, it's still wire on the cable, it's going to be running ducting, so there is no requirement for additional protection. So I've only got to, I've only got to think about overcurrent protection. I've got to think about then um, regulation 433.1.1, which considers uh, overload protection. We looked at this last week. But we've got to make sure that um, our rating of our protected device is equal to or greater than our design current because if it's the other way around, you're going to get nuisance stripping from your overcurrent device, etc. So I've got a design current there of 27.1 amps. So I've got to select now um, a circuit breaker with a, a current rating equal to or higher than 27.1 amps. So we're going to select a 32 amp device because that's the next size up. But then I've got to think about either it being a type B, a type C, or a type D device. And again, last week, we had a look in the on-site guide, table 7.2.7, .7, indent two on page 90. Remember that gives us applications for circuit breakers and what we can use type B, C, and D for. Now, because it's a motor and it's quite a big motor, um, there may be a possible inrush current to consider. So when we switch the motor on or the compressor, the initial inrush current may be quite high, and on a standard type B device, we only need between three and five times the rating of it, and it will trip out because it will think it's overloaded. Whereas a C type, we can go between five and 10 times. So it makes sense to pick a type C 32 amp uh, three pole or three phase device. Then onto the MEM website, Eaton, Memshield 3, and yet they make one, still make one today, and it's fully compatible because it's their brand. So we're happy with that. So we're going to pick then a 32 amp type C. Um, device 60898 circuit breaker and is 32 amps uh, equal to or greater than 27.1 which is our design current yes it is so we're happy with that we've got our design current and we've selected our protected device 32 amp type c 60890 happy with that yep that's so all good stage is done. loving that so next thing we've got to do is to determine our installational reference method in other words how is this cable being installed so we know that it's a multi-core armor cable and it's going to be ran uh, in a uh, cable ducting direct in the ground. So I can look in table 482 in appendix four of the regs on page 437. It gives us uh, numerous different uh, installation methods. And when we look in table 482, reproduce it up there for us. We've got a nice little pictorial 
diagram. And it comes under number 70 within that table, and it's a multi-core armored cable, either in a conduit or it's in a cable ducting in the ground. And it gives us a reference method there of D. Can I just yeah, on, with that, but can I just point something out on there that yeah, yeah. is often missed, I think, by people is that when it talks about installation method or reference method, the installation method is actually the numerical values going down the table. So you might have the same reference method of being bunched in conduit, for example, but the installation method is what then divides it up as to the type of situation that the conduit is then bunched in. So people understanding the difference of the reference method is B, C, D, E, wherever you're going, but actually having an installation method as well. So although the tables factor your cable calc usually on the reference method, it is important to go back and understand that installation methods are there at the same time and the difference between the two of them. Yep, so your installation method is your number. And then obviously, as Craig said, your reference method uh, will be a letter. As he's quite rightly says, you can have cables inducting or with just buried in the ground without ducting. They'll still be D, but they'll be a different number. And that's important when we're looking to get the right information from our current carrying capacity tables that we're going to look at in a bit. So for this Electrical example, OM yeah. lays that out really well as well, I've got yeah. to say, before we move on, that yeah. they set that out really nicely from uh, using that software. Reference method D. Happy days. So we've got to consider now then what D rating factors are there to consider within our little scenario. So we know that we've got an ambient ground temperature uh, of 35 degrees. That's the maximum we're expecting it to go. So we've got to find the right table again within Appendix 4 uh, of the regs. So within Appendix 4, we can look at Table 4B2 on page 441, and that gives us rating factors for ambient ground temperature, not to be confused with Table 4B1, which we, we used last week, that was talking about the ambient air temperature. We haven't got a factor for that one. We've only got a factor for the ground temperature because obviously the cables going inside a duct in, in the ground. So we look down on the left ground temperature, go down as far as we go as 35 degrees. And we come across and we already know that the insulation on our uh, multi-core armoured is 70 degrees. So the factor there is 0 0.84. Nice and simple. Happy with that? Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And then we've also got to consider um, that the cable is buried, there's a little mistake there, uh, direct in a duct, um, it says grouping, but it's not grouping, it's buried, that's me leaving it over from last week. So it's actually buried in a duct, and we've got to consider um, that this is going to have a D rating factor as well, because don't forget, ultimately D, D rating factors are allowing for the fact that cable can't dissipate the heat, which will uh, directly affect the current carrying capacity of it. So this one, we've got to look down uh, in table 4B4, and on the left, it's depth of laying in metres. So we know from the scenario that it's 1.75 metres down. Is it buried direct? No. Or is it in a buried duct? Well, we know it's in a duct. So the factor there is 0 0.94. Happy with that? So yeah, it's, it's a marginal difference, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you get the right table <laughs> and you get the right value. So 1.75 metres down the left, and then you've got to select the right table. Is it buried direct or in buried ducts? Happy with that. Okay, so now, based on those factors, we can then use our formula again to calculate the amount of current that this cable is going to need to carry, IZ. So we know that in Appendix F, the formulas are in there for us to use in the on-site guide, but also in Appendix 4 on page 425, it refreshes our memory on different formulas we can use and the different symbols. So to calculate the amount of current the cable is going to need to carry, one method of doing it is to divide the rating of our protector device and divide that uh, by our two factors, our D-rating factors that we've just found. So it would be 32 amps divided by 0.84 times not, uh, 0 0.94. So it will give us a total of 41 amps. So because the cable is in a duct and because of the uh, high ambient ground temperature, that cable is going to need to carry 41 amps. Happy with that? So now I've got a difference. Yeah. So I've got to select a cable now that can carry the 41 amps. So once again, I've got to get the right table. You won't find this particular table in the on-site guide. I've got to go into the regs books. It's got far more different types of cables, different uh, tables. So again, within Appendix 4. In, in Sorry, the Richard. Table, mate. 
I was going to say one hint I would say to apprentices or people looking at doing the regs exam is marking up page 420 with page numbers as to where these tables are in the regs book. It's a lot quicker to navigate your way around to these specific tables to help you out when you're under pressure. Contents page for every part of the regs is the, is the place to go because it lists all the chapters and the sections and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So table 4D4A is for... 70 degree multi-core armoured cable. I've got to get the right table for the cable I'm using. Okay. So within that table, I'm looking for the right column based upon the installation method of the cable. So I think I've included the table uh, within the document here. So when you look in column seven of that table, we go all the way down on the left to our different size conductors until we come to at least uh, 41 amps. So I have a look down there and 10 mil squared will carry, there it is, will carry uh, 50 amps. Happy with that? So as we go down, 10 mil will carry 50 amps, whereas 6 mil will only carry 38. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And I think it's important that people make sure they are reading the single phase and the three phase exactly, column yeah. because if you look at single phase and a 6 mil would carry enough technically for the circuit. Yeah, I believe. So you got to use actually, the right, yeah, the right column number, which is column seven, because it's a three or four core cable, and we we are installing a four core three phase cable, correct? So ten mil, yes, fifty amps. Can't use six mil because it'll only take thirty eight, and we're looking for something that can carry at least forty one. Happy with that? Yes. So for our um, silver armor cable, then we're going to be using, or we're going to select in ten mil squared. Happy with that? Okay, good. So last week we had a bit of a, a moment where we've got to consider as well, Appendix 4 again, that statement that talks about you can calculate IT, but you can obtain it from a different formula, providing the circuits of that group, if they are grouped, are not liable to simultaneous overload. So circuits installed on its own. So I can use this formula instead to calculate the amount of current the cable is going to carry. But the only thing that changes is I'm not dividing the correction factors by the rating of the device because it can't overload. I'm dividing it by the design current. And the design current is 27.1 amps. It can never overload this thing. So what does that do? Well, actually, it alters the amount of current that the cable is going to have to carry. So instead of it having to carry 41 amps, it's only got to carry 34 amps. So do we still need 10 mil? No, I can put in six mil. And there's a picture of some guy with a load of cash in his hand. Is it gonna save us a bit of money, 43 meters of 10 mil compared to six mil? Just a bit. Mm. So again, you know, just to, a little bit of a, something to think about as we did last week. I can consider this other formula, this other way of doing it, because it is in the regs, it's an alternative way, as long as the, the circuits that are grouped, if they're together, or the circuit itself, is not liable to overload. And it can't overload, can it? So therefore, 34 amps is all the cable needs to carry. Six mil will do it. Happy with that. But again, something to think about. And of course, it complies with 433.1.1 because the rating uh, of the cable needs to be equal to or greater than the rating of the device. So we're happy with that. Okay, we're gonna base it on 10 mil. So we're gonna go the way that we went originally. So everything else is based on that 10 mil cable. So we're still going with 10 mil. So then we need to consider the actual bolt drop on that cable that we've selected based on the length and the design current and everything else. So again, last week we looked at this formula that we can find in the on-site guide in Appendix F on page 168. It's also in the regs book, but it's in words as opposed to in, in a formula. So to calculate bolt drop then, we need to know the millivolts per meter value for the cable we've selected, 10 mil. We need to do, uh, times that or multiply that by our design current. We know what that is. Times that by our length. And we've got to divide it by a thousand because we want the answer to be in volts and not millivolts. So the first thing to do is find the right table again in the regs book. And in the regs book, the volt drop tables generally follow the current carrying capacity table. So the, volt, uh, the, the current carrying capacity table was 4D4A. So therefore, the volt drop table directly underneath it is 4D4B. So I've got to go down on the left to my selected cross-section there, which was 10 mil. 
got to go across in, and I know what Craig's going to say. You've got to be careful here which column you use. So column two is for two-core cable DC. Well, we're not DC, we're AC. It's not a two-core cable, so we can't use column three. It's not single phase. I've got to use column four, which is a three or four-core cable, three phase. So 10 mil squared, come all the way across, and my millivolts per amp per meter value is 3.8. So for every meter of that 10 mil cable, it's going to lose 3.8 millivolts per amp per meter. All I've got to do then is put those values into my formula to calculate, to calculate the actual volt drop. So 3.8 millivolts per amp per meter, multiply that by my design current, which was 27.1 amps, multiply that by my length, which was 43 meters, divided by a thousand, so I've got the answer in volts, and I get a calculated volt drop of 4.43 volts. Okay, so is that acceptable? Well, again, last week we looked at table 4AB in the regs book on page 430, and I've got a, um, I've replicated it and put it in this document for us to, to refresh our memory on it. And we know for circuits other than lighting, we're allowed 5% of nominal. And nominal voltage is stated as 230 volts. That's our voltage to earth. So therefore, the maximum volt drop we're allowed on anything other than lighting is 11 and a half volts. It can't go above it. We've just calculated our volt drop at 4.43. And therefore, it's equal to or less than 11.5 volts. So a calculated volt drop is less than the maximum allowed. So that 10 mil cable is all good for volt drop as well. So it's good for current carrying capacity and it's good for volt drop based on 43 meters. Got a copy there of 6.4 out of the regs book with table 4AB. And within it, it says the volt drop between the origin of an installation and any low point should not be greater than the values in the table below expressed with respect to the value of the nominal voltage of the installation. It does though say in one of the little notes, that you may have a greater volt drop uh, when motors are, um, are starting, et cetera, and that is acceptable. So we might have an initial volt drop once our motor, our compressor starts up. You'd expect that that's not a problem. Happy days. So, so far, we've done our three or four stages and we've got as far now as confirming volt drop and all that's good. So 10 mil in terms of current current capacity is good. We're happy with that. Next thing then we've got to consider is to determine our maximum disconnection time for this circuit. So in other words, what's the maximum time um, before our protected device needs to disconnect based on our chosen protective measure? So we're going to be choosing automatic disconnection of supply as we did last week from chapter 41. So again, we can find that information in chapter 41, pages 64 and 65. And we're going to specifically be looking now at regulation 411.3.2.3. This gives us information to determine the maximum disconnection time based upon the load and based upon the earthing arrangement. So maximum disconnection times that are, stable, are stated in table 41.1, I've included the table in here, shall be applied to final circuits with a rate of current not exceeding, so 63 amps, one or more sockets, this circuit isn't a socket outlets, or up to 32 amps applying fixed connected current using equipment. Well, this circuit is 27 amps and it is a piece of fixed current using equipment. So what we need to do now is look in table 41.1 and we need to have a look at the earthing arrangement to find out what our maximum disconnection time is for this circuit. So table 41.1, our nominal voltage is between 120 and 230. So I'm using the second column in. It's on a TN system, it's AC. So therefore our maximum disconnection time is 0.4 seconds. So this type C 32 amp breaker has got to disconnect in the maximum time of 0.4 of a second. So just under half a second, we've got to make sure that's what happens. Okay, last week it was five seconds, but this week, super quick this week, 0.4 seconds. We've got to make sure that happens. So we need to confirm it. So the next thing we need to do is to determine the maximum earth outlook impedance value to achieve that 0.4 second maximum disconnection time. So again, I can go um, and have a look when we, uh, check for shock protection, the maximum ZS values. So before we get to that, we need to calculate what our ZS value is going to be, and we're going to compare it with the maximum allowed. So going back to the scenario, um, we know that we've got to run a separate CPC with this SWA, and we know it's got to be two sizes smaller than what we've selected for our line conductors, our live conductors. So two sizes smaller than 10 mil will be 4 mil. So we're going to run this four core 10 mil in, and we're going to run alongside it or with it a single insulated four mil CP. So 
We need then to find out what our resistance value is in milliohms per metre for our combination of 10 mil line conductor and 4 mil CPC. So we won't find this in the regs. This information we need to get from the on-site guide from uh, table I1 in appendix I. So we're going to look down in that table until we come to 10 mil for our line conductor and 4 mil in our CPC. When we look in that table, we should get a value then for 10 mil, 4 mil combination of 6.44 milliohms per metre. So for every metre of that combination, 10 mil, 4 mil, we're going to have 6.44 milliohms of resistance per metre. So my formula to calculate ZS again, it's in the on-site guide, is ZE plus R1 plus R2. So we know what our ZE value is. We've got that from the scenario. What we need to do now is calculate our R1 and R2 based upon the length. So to calculate R1 and R2, we need our milliohms per metre value that we've just got from table I1 of the on-site guide. We need to apply, to apply a multiplier, which we can find from table I3, and that's to allow for the fact that that conductor under fault conditions is going to rise. That value is, is um, 1.2, and we need to times that by our length, which was 43 metres. So if we do that calculation, we're going to get a total R1, R2 value of 0.3323 ohms, rounded down 0.33. So I add that to my ZE value of 0.24, and I get a total earth fault loop impedance value of ZS of 0.57 ohms. Happy days. So what do we do with that 0.57 ohms? Well, what I need to do now then is to confirm that that value of 0.57 uh, ohms is less than the maximum value I'm allowed for that 32 amp type C device. So I'm gonna go into table 41.3 of the regs, and I'm gonna go until I find type C circuit breakers to 60898, so not the first row, the second row down, type C. I'm gonna go across to 32, and I'm gonna find what the maximum value of ZS is of 0 0.68 ohms. So is my 0.57 under 0.68, which is the maximum? Yes, it is. So therefore, in theory, that circuit breaker should disconnect within my maximum time of 0.4 of a second. Happy days. So, so Why far, quite well. <laughs> so far, so good. Happy with that? Very okay. much so. You're doing a sterling job, Richard. <laughs> right. So to confirm that, um, we're also going to look then at calculating the fault current. And my fault current, going to expand a little bit more than we did last week. When we're calculating fault current from this point, we're using our UO value, our uh, voltage to earth. So this is our prospective earth fault current value that we're calculating. So again, we can find it in appendix F, or I and F, sorry, of the on-site guide, and it gives us a formula. So to calculate our fault current, IF, we need to divide our uh, nominal voltage, 230 volts, by a value of ZS to get a fault current value. And again, it's just Ohm's law. So our fault current, based on our 0.57 um, a fault loop impedance is 403.508 amps. In other words, about 404 amps of current that would flow if you had an earth fault. So another thing to consider, and we won't do it this week, but do we need to consider our prospective short circuit current, PSC, sir? Do we need to consider this? Mm. So this we're checking to make sure there's enough current there to disconnect our device within a certain time under earth fault conditions. Do we need to consider it under short circuit fault conditions? I mean, we're all used to doing, you know, uh, uh, fault uh, loop impedance tests and values and all the rest of it. But do we ever do a line neutral or, you know, a short circuit test to ensure the device is going to disconnect? I certainly know that 2396 expand upon calculating short circuit, don't they, Craig? Yeah, they do. And I think it's often a test that people miss in the field as well. When you're doing your ZE at origin, you are supposed to be breaking down your perspective fault current in the two components and go with it and measuring the difference between the two. And you'll generally find your short circuit current is the one that you need to record under your PFC. However, as we say, it's often the skipped test and definitely the skipped calculation, I would suggest. But yeah, I think and our next scenario in the following weeks, we definitely need to start expanding on that and opening up eyes because between line and neutral could be more damaging. Right? Yep. So, you know, we're, we're considering shock protection. We're considering under earth fault conditions, is this device going to disconnect quickly enough? But do we need to consider if there's a short circuit or indeed I grab hold of the line of neutral, 
you know, I want that device to disconnect as quickly as I can because the longer I'm attached to it, the more current there is, the more damage it's going to do. So a thought for you to think about, again, you know, send any, um, any theories you have or do you think we need to or not, or, you know, send those in, something to think about. We'll expand upon that. But so far, we've worked out our prospective earth fault current. We've got a value of fault current. So what I'm going to do now is confirm the actual disconnection time of the device that we've selected is going to be within the maximum that we're allowed. It should do because we've checked it with our max ZS, but we're going to actually go and make sure it can. So again, we had a bit of a look in Appendix 3 last week in, in the regs book, and within here, it's got all our time current information for all our different devices. So based on current, we can find out the time it will take for a device to disconnect, or based on time, we can, we can calculate how much current we're going to need, et cetera. So I've got to choose the right table, the right figure, as they are in Appendix 3, for the, for the devices that we're using. So figure 3A5 um, is for type T C circuit breakers. To 60898, that's what we've got. So we've got our time current graphs on here. To simplify it out, they produce this nice little table on the right for us. And we can see here how much current we're going to need for each of these devices to disconnect that device between 0.1 of a second instant to five seconds. I need my device to disconnect in 0.4. If I've got enough current in this table, it's going to disconnect it instantly. So I can look down 32 amps. I need a current of at least 320 amps. And I know that we've just calculated um, that we've just got 400 and some amps, wouldn't it? 404, I think, yeah. 404 amps. So that's more than 320. So based on that impedance and that voltage, that device is going to disconnect instantly. So I've smashed my 0.4 second disconnection time. It's actually going to dis disconnect instantly. So all good with that. Right, then... The last thing we've got to check is our four mil uh, CPC that we've selected that we're going to run alongside this SWA. We've got to make sure that the cross-sectional area of that cable, four mil, is acceptable um, based on that amount of fault current, based on that duration of time before the device disconnects, and based on the coefficient of the material that's used, in this case, copper. So last week, we had a bit of a look at regulation 543.1.3, which talks about the minimum size um, CSA, the CPC that's required. And it gave us the old adiabatic equation. So to calculate it, we need to square root the amount of current that we've just previously calculated squared times by the time. We know that because we just calculated that. And we need to divide it by our K value. So we know that uh, in um, the various tables in um, part five, chapter 54 of the regs, it gives us K values depending upon how the protective conductor has been ran, if that makes sense. So what we've got to do is select the K value for the cable, the four mil cable that's been ran with the SWA. And I've already spotted a mistake that I've made because I've selected the wrong table, <laughs> which is good. So in table 50, uh, uh, part five in chapter 54 we're looking for the right table where the protective conductor is not incorporating in the cable or it's not bunched so it should be table 54.2 i think so let me just have a little flick through here because being lazy i've just used the same table that we used last week so yeah so table 54.2 is so for should... insulated protective conductors not incorporated into cable and not bunched with cable. For so that's what, that's what we've got conductors. here. Yeah. So it's not incorporated in a cable like it was last week because we had a flat 20 CPC cable. This has been run separately. So in that table 54.2, I'm going to look down for the material of the conductor. We know it's copper. Okay. And the insulation material is 70 degree thermoplastic. So our K value is actually 143, correct? Yes. 143. So our current, we know, we've just calculated that, was 404 amps, okay, squared, times our disconnection time, we've got from appendix three of 0 0.1 second. We're gonna divide that by a K value of 143. So let's do that now. So square root of, 404 squared times 0.1 divided by 143 
equals. So I've got a minimum cross-sectional area that we're going to need of 0.89 millimetres squared. Based on that amount of fault current, that amount of time the device is going to take to disconnect, and the K value based on the protective conductor that's not running the same kerbal, it's not incorporated with it, it's ran separately. So K value is 143. So the minimum size that we need to run with that SWA is 0.89 millimetres squared. We've actually selected a four millimetre squared cable so that uh, can cope with that amount of current for that amount of duration before it disintegrates. So four mil is plenty big enough. You could have run a one mil with it if you can get it anymore, 1.5 would have done, 2.5 would have done, but four mil is all good. Happy with that? Yeah, and I think just pointing out for people that there's a fine line, isn't there, between having a massive CPC conductor, yeah. but having one that's too small, the way off to each other is the smaller the conductor, the less ZS you're going to have potentially in the circuit with a bigger conductor, but the bigger conductor has a bigger cost. So it's a real design balance borderline for people when they're doing this. Yeah, it is. I mean, some people might be thinking, well, why didn't you just use the still or armor of the SWA, but that's a further calculation, which I'm sure we can look at. <laughs> we can expand on that another week, can't we? Because you need a different, a different table for your, your K values. So yeah. to summarize it then, to summarize it, um, our chosen cross-section area of our still or armor cable of 10 mil uh, and our separate four mil CPC will fully comply, of course, with all the relevant parts of 7671. So I could go ahead and order that cable now all those cables, I could install those, uh, put those in, and it would be fully compliant with the regs. We're happy with that. Again, another question a bit similar to what we asked last week, you know, could we design this slightly differently? Possibly, could we use the, the uh, still our armorings of the SWA for the CPC instead of running a separate one? Maybe we can look at that another time. And interestingly, we spoke about using software last week, me and Mark had a bit of a chat, and I've got a very simple uh, megavolt drop and uh, cable calculation app on my phone. So I pumped in 15 kilowatts, voltage of 400 volts and a cable length of 43 meters. It doesn't ask for any other information and that reference method buried in the ground, it asks for that, et cetera. And it actually recommends a, a minimum cable size of six mil. Interesting. But if it's used the alternative method of calculating it from design current, like we mentioned earlier, then potentially that's what it's done. But interesting. You would you would hope that it specified that though, wouldn't you, as to yeah. what yeah, you were doing it, but yeah, it's not, it's um very simple. I don't have Good guide, though. yeah, yeah. I mean it gives you a rough idea, but it actually states, you know, as soon as you click onto the app, you must verify it, you know, with all the requirements of the regs before. But it gives you an idea and as we said earlier, six mil would have been fine as far as uh, current, you know, IT goes. You don't have to. You'd have to further then calculate it for volt drop and all the rest of it. But you know, that's for someone, for the listeners to have a go at themselves, basically. But just another example of another very simple cable calculation based upon uh, a certain scenario with certain factors thrown in. Nothing too overly complicated. But this time it was three phase, bit of power factor, slightly different correction factors. Uh, different installation method, but the process we followed last week, same process we followed this week, and ultimately you're just verifying at each stage that it's fully compliant with 7671, and if it is, happy days. And I think it's hugely important. The reason I went for a duct and a ground is because I had a real-life scenario and a similar situation. It wasn't for a motor, but actually using the regs and how you apply meant the difference between pulling in four 300 mils in parallels or sticking with the three 240 mil in parallels that were already installed on the job to get next to the same amount of current based on how you then design the reference method. So those that are keen amongst you go and have a look at the two different reference methods that you can generally apply to the regs when you've got cables and duct underground because you've got what we spoke about today and then there's a method called ERA, which has some other factors involved in it, which then massively can benefit your cable if you can comply with some of those factors as well. So um, this was stemmed from a scenario that had a huge cost saving to a client, basically. Okay, and cost is massive, isn't it? How many jobs do you lose, Mark, through cost or yourself, Craig? Is cost a major factor? 
It's always a factor, definitely, in any job you're pricing. I mean, you never really want to be bottom of that pile, but equally you want to be competitive. So it's a it's a consideration, like Craig said earlier on, the design discussion around that for getting a safe installation, but also one that's competitive. It's not easy, and that's often the great skill that's in design. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know in my world when it goes out to tender for every job we go for, three other electrical companies are asked to price. Right. You've all got the same information as what you take from that pack and what you bring back to the table that then gets you the work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cru- crucially important then, isn't it? Massively important. Yeah. And these, it, it, it shows if you misunderstand some of those tables, it, does. It, can have, it can have a big impact. If you get a figure from the wrong table somewhere over your calculations, you can impact on your design and then maybe put yourself out of cost. So it's well worth making sure that you've you know, got that process in place and you yeah. are happy with all your selections. Practice, the right, Use the right column in the, yeah. in the table use the right as well. Table. <laughs> it's practice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's checking and double checking. Just, you know, you, you can quite easily use the wrong table because you've not considered, just like I did earlier, that that CPC was run separate and not incorporated. But that was just me transferring stuff from last week into... Well, that came from that's what I... That yeah. came from what I'd also sent over. And when everyone's doing something in a rush, it's yeah. a clear, easy error, isn't it? And yeah, that's good. Yeah. What I would say to people is we're not trying to be no. patronising to anybody. But when we say things about the columns in the table, it's because myself and Richard have yeah. stood in front of classes and Mark has obviously trained a huge amount of apprentices that... People say to me, but Craig, there is three cores in that cable and they don't understand that we're talking about the live conductors of that's the cable, right. not yeah. the CPC that's involved inside it. Yeah, It's that's little good. things like that that may catch you out. We're hoping that we can share some of what we've seen in the classroom or out in the field to help you not make those same mistakes. Yeah, simplifying that. And I do know that in Amendment 3, at the moment where you've got reference method D in your current carrying capacity tables, it just talks about either directing the ground or inducting. So we've only got two columns for either. In Amendment 3, there are two additional columns coming. Just a bit of inside information for you. So there'll be two additional columns added. So you'll have two columns for directing the ground and two further columns for induct. Because That'll be at least another five quid on the cost of the book now if there's extra bits going <laughs> in it. But that, that is coming because, you know, if, if you've got a correction factor to consider... Either, either in the ground or in a duct, and depending on depth of the ground, it does have an effect on the current carrying capacity. So they do need to add those two additional columns in. I think it's a good idea. But um, yeah, another bit of useless information. But that Not is all. In, in Amendment 3, for sure, as well as this... loads of other 700 pages. <laughs> but <laughs> this, yeah, that's, this that's... was a really, really good example again. And I know this is something that, that Craig's come up with and Richard's brought into the uh, visual space and led us through the discussion again tonight just want to feedback to you two really some of the stuff that's come back on yeah the socials through this there's been quite a few dms saying it's been really helpful a much um better way of understanding the found in their college environments so there are people out there there's probably between 20 and 30 messages along those lines actually from last week's episode of people really passing on their thanks so it is having an impact people are getting value from it there's been comments on the youtube video and on the spotify people can comment back through there now as well so they've answered with some improved suggestions for that scenario we popped out last week i am gonna share that again a bit more widely to give other people a chance to have a listen and get involved in that before we pick some winners but that's been done so there is uh, a lot of appreciation for that a massive thank you for putting the effort in and doing it it's brilliant i'm a passenger on these i i enjoy it i've sat and learned something tonight listening to you guys talk through that example I'm not um, big and clever enough to sit here and say I know everything. So I very much appreciate it as well myself. Yeah, no problem. I don't think any, I mean, every day is a learning day. I know we've had a, a conversation today about inverters and, you know, all sorts of stuff. You never, never know everything. And if I don't know, somebody will know or somebody will have an idea of someone that will know. And, you know, that's how you build up your professional relationship with people in your working life, don't you? Because if you, you know, nobody knows everything. And if you do, you know, you, you're talking out your backside, I think. But, and as you said, there's far more clever people than me, but uh, I just try and apply a simple approach to things. And generally, if you can simplify some of that, you kind of get there in the end. So, you know, and that's all they are, cable calcs. It's it's more about finding your way around the book and using the right information to, to get to where you need to get, really. But um, there you go. So I suppose it'll be my turn next week now. I think I'll, 
I think I'll use an EV charger or something, something a bit, Ooh. something a bit relevant. <laughs> maybe I need to ramp it up another single, level. Single phase, three phase, or DC. Put it in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll come up with something. Um, and we, yeah, we'll think about other considerations in terms of seven twenty two. We'll have a, a little bit of other considerations, a bit like we did last week, where we considered do I need additional protection? And you know, we won't go too deep, but we'll have a little bit of a look. Because we, we kind of got the, the flow now, haven't we, of our different steps. So we'll add a, a little bit of other considerations you need to consider as, as a designer at the end of the day. And ultimately, whatever you choose as a designer, it's going to affect you, your pricing and your cost, you know, as we've said tonight. So, yeah, no problem at all. I'm just glad it's hopefully it's useful, you know, and that's all that matters, isn't it? It's all good. Anything further yeah, no. you'd like to add? Sorry, Craig, carry on. I was just going to say I've just enjoyed... I'm enjoying being part of these away it's way down and following through it's so, uh, it's good because there's bits you notice as you go through and you go I didn't think of that should have added that should have thought of that and I guess that's a real world every day isn't it I'm fortunate that I sit in an office full of four or five other people that are relatively okay with this stuff and we can bounce that day to day off of each other so even however many years we are all in asking these questions, if you're new to it, then make sure you're asking the questions and don't be shy, would be my final thoughts. Yeah. 100%. So. Again, even based on tonight's scenario, any additional thoughts or comments or questions and just, you know, post them into Mark and I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll get together and have a chat and try and give some other advice. And these will be available again. I'll, I'll resend the one I... Uh, You've got the wrong table in tonight. I'll resend that to Mark tomorrow. So you've got the right one. But it just goes to show we're all, you know, at the end of the day, we're all electricians, we're all human, and you have to check, double check stuff. But that's that's life, isn't it? You know, so oh listen, you're volunteering your time doing all this. It takes a lot of effort to get those slides <laughs> into play. And I massively appreciate it. We're all sat here now at half eight on a night talking through it on a podcast because we like to help people and discuss things among ourselves for enjoyment. So there's no issue there whatsoever, Richard. Thanks for making the effort to even put that together. And as I said, loads of people are getting value from it. I think it's brilliant. And hopefully we can continue these for the foreseeable. There will be, again, all the files and everything in the same places last week, but it is all in the description. If you want to go and dive back into them, jump down there and have a look. We'll be back again in a week or so with another example, and we'll see if we can move it on a bit further. The idea is we're taking apprentices on this journey with us. We don't want it to seem daunting and scary for people who are new to design and kind of building up their careers in the electrical industry. So if you're ahead of this level already, bear that in mind. We are working towards some more technically difficult things, if you want, for a better phrase, and we'll jump to that in the future. Thank you again, both gents, for joining in, and we'll see you on the next one. No problem. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.